Amen. All right. Hey, hey, Ken, where's Ken at? There he is over the trying to hide. Do you get this one right? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let you buy me lunch. Okay, let's move on. Anyway, so here it is. Uh, all this guy ever wanted was for people to know the truth about Jesus, you know, and how to get to heaven through him. But apparently that was not acceptable behavior in this man's day. So he was condemned to die, listen, an excruciating, horrible death. He was born in Norwich, England around the 1500s, and later he was actually educated at Cambridge where he became fluent in Greek and in Latin, even to the point where he actually earned his living teaching these languages. And like many others of his days, this man became saved when he was confronted with the actual teachings of the Bible, not man's teachings. And so after he got saved, he did what Christians do, sought out other believers to be like-minded with them. And he became friends with the likes of John Frith and William Tyndale. And he even joined them in the pursuit of exposing the errors and the false teachings of the Roman Catholic Church that was keeping people from going to heaven. And so one day, while he's debating the so-called church leader who believed in the false teaching, just one of them of the Catholic Church, transubstantiation, as we saw before, where they say that the blood and the, the bread and the wine in communion actually turns into the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. I don't think so, okay? He is not sacrificed over and over and over again. He died once for all. Scripture's clear. But it was this man, though, when he pointed that out, he was the one accused of heresy, so they put him on trial, and he even gave a detailed, point-by-point, biblical response why he believed what he believed and why they were wrong, okay, but to no avail. They refused to listen to him, let alone the truth. And so listen, they actually, they didn't just burn this guy at the stake. They literally roasted him alive. If the fire became stronger or if the flame reached higher than they chose, they actually removed the fire or dampened it just to play with the guy and torture him. And when his legs were burnt off and his thighs were reduced to mere stumps in the fire, then they started poking his body and lifting him up even higher so he'd burn more on stakes. Horrible, excruciating death. But God was with him in the midst of the flame and, and supported this man's spirit, even under the anguish of this horrific pain. When everyone took him for a complete dead man, listen, true story, this man all of a sudden lifted his hands high up in the air as if the fire had totally left him and with his last breath cried out to the people there, none but Christ, none but Christ. And then he died and went to go be with Jesus Christ. Listen to this. It was said that these words, hello, spoken at such a time under such horrific pain and circumstances made a much deeper and more lasting impression upon the minds of the people than any other written volume on this subject ever could have. The man's name, of course, is John, he's buying me lunch, Lambert. Not Lambeth, that was close, but you still owe me lunch. John Lambert. Wow. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but God using you to drill into the minds of the people of all phrases, none but Christ, none but Christ, more powerful than any other book. I'd say that's a pretty good thing to do as a Christian, amen, and leaves a legacy. And once again, folks, that's what we're seeing in our study. That's a life worth living for, amen? That, that's, that's the good news. The problem is we got a problem. Even though God's the same God and we're just as much his children as John Lambert is, Okay, he's in heaven now. What's going on today? Most of us as Christians, we read the Bible in one hand, right? And we take a look at our life in the other, and we're going, what's going on here, man? Something doesn't compute. It's not matching up. There's a disconnect going on. How come these people like John Lambert, he's a Christian, so am I. But how come he gets to be used of Jesus to do these amazing things for him, leaving a lasting legacy, and here I am fumbling around in the dark. I don't got this life worth living for. I got a life worth giving up. You ever been there? Well, folks, this is the good news of our study. It doesn't have to be that way, Okay. That kind of life, a life worth living for, is available to every single Christian. Once again, turn to somebody and say, hey, that means you. That's right. 
Even those of you from Canada and Vancouver area. Uh, that's right. Be encouraged today. Uh, that's right. And that's why we're going to continue our study, A Life Worth Living For. And what we're doing, folks, we're taking a look at some different keys I believe are pivotal if we're going to have those lives worth living for, like John Lambert. Now, we already saw the first six times that first key was experiencing God's joy. Why? It's all for us because it's all about me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. No. So that you and I can be those joyful examples in a joyless world leading souls to Jesus. That's a life worth living for. And the last 15 times, who's counting? I am, Orson. Uh, we saw that it's also experiencing God's peace. Why? Because it's a wonderful two-bang punch. God's not only given us his joy, he's given us his peace. So now we get to be joyful, peaceful examples in a joyless, peaceless world. Hello. And it draws people to Jesus. It's an, a wonderful ministry. Now, the problem is the enemy knows this. And so he tricks us into short-circuiting that joy and peace that God's already given to us. Okay. And the last time we saw the seventh way was by getting us to have a misplaced posture. Oh, my back. I wish it was just a back problem. We saw it wasn't a back problem. It was a spiritual problem that'll mess you up way worse than any other uh, back problem ever could. All the days of your life, okay? And this challenge we saw that the Bible says that we need to experience God's peace, and we can on a regular basis, okay? Even though, listen, God might call you to a Gethsemane experience, Christian, like Jesus. The good news is if you have a biblical posture, one that's not mm, stiff neck we saw like the Israelites last week, the one that's soft and pliable towards the will of God, who's got a serious focus on the will of God, not your problems, not your pain. But I've got to do what God's called me to do in the midst of this suffering, okay? It's going to give you and release God's peace, okay? Now, the second thing we need to learn, because that was just the first of three, the second thing we need to learn, if we're gonna have this biblical posture, okay? If we're going to avoid creating a bunch of unnecessary pain and keeping God's peace flowing in the midst of our trials, is we need to listen, we need to have an unshakable trust in the will of God. We don't need to focus on the will of God, get it off your problem, get it off your situation, get it off your pain, get it back on God. Trust in his character, he is good. And that's the issue, it's trust. It's an unshakable trust. You wanna have continual peace, you have to have an unshakable trust. Not a once in a while trust, not just, oh, it makes sense, now I can trust God. No, it's a trust, I don't care if I get it or not. I'm gonna trust him. And the scripture says when you do that, bang, peace of God, pew, flows. And that's when you need it, it's in the trial, not afterwards, right? And it, once again, we see this example, shocker, in Jesus. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, let's take a look at uh, Jesus once again being our example. What do you do in the midst of some serious, serious pain, okay? Including the pain that other people cause. Including the pain that's wrong, or as we're going to see, unjust. It's going to happen. God's not the author of sin. Of course not. Hello, he's holy. But God is so powerful that he will use other people's bad behavior, even their sin, for our good. But how do, you, how do you maintain? How do you not just make it through that time, but how do you make it through with God's peace? Well, let's take a look at Jesus' example. He experienced some serious, unjust uh, pain from other people. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to read verses 19 through 23. So let's take a look at what it says. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of what kind of suffering? unjust suffering. Why? Because he's conscious of God. Just what we saw last week. Where's the focus? Your problem, your pain? No, you're conscious of God. Your focus is on God. Number one, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure, right? You can see, get your focus off of God. And you know, I tell you, what, I'm going to eye for an eye. Truth. No, no, no. That's not where it's at. Okay, how are you going to do it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were what, Christian? Called. Why? Because Christ suffered for who? You, for us. Leaving us a what? Example. You ever wonder why we're called Christians? Christians? It means a follower of 
Christ. And so if Jesus suffered and we follow him, guess what's going to happen? It's going to happen, Christian. Get this pie of the sky thing out of your head that somehow heaven is here and now. It's not. Heaven comes later. But in the midst of it, God shows us what to do so we keep his peace going and be a positive witness, okay? It's not just about making it through. He says, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. So here's what you do. Jesus, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he called the lawyer. He got the cops there, 911. They were there in five minutes. He gave a detailed report as how he's going to get them back. And oh, I'm sorry, Steve, wrong translation. Help me out. Okay, no, that's not what he said. What did he say? He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he what? You're going to get it. He made no threats. Instead, listen, Jesus, here's your word, entrusted. What's entrusted? That's trust in action. Entrusted. He entrusted himself to who? To God, who judges justly. So this is Jesus. This is our example, as the scripture says, and I think it's pretty clear, folks. What are we going to do? How are we going to maintain God's peace in the midst of some serious suffering, even unjust behavior from other people? Well, this is our example. This is Jesus. In the midst of his unjust suffering, he was bruised, he was beaten, he was battered on our behalf. What did Jesus do? Did he freak out? Did he flip out? Did he say, I'm going to get you? What's the scripture deal? In fact, I love it. It, You talk about itemized right there, step by step. God spells it out for us. He what? He, first of all, entrusted the whole thing. He entrusted his situation over to God. And again, entrusted his trust in action. In other words, he had an unshakable trust in the will of God. Why? Because we saw the last two weeks, God is good. And all that he does is good. Otherwise he wouldn't be good. And that's what's so amazing about Romans 8, 28. God even says, if you don't understand that about my character, I promise you, Christian, if you love me, I'll work it all together for good. So obviously Jesus knows this is God is good. Okay. Or, Or Jesus used the word, he's just. Because if God did something that wasn't good, then he wouldn't be just. But God is just. And so in other words, he's going to take care of it, including our pain. And he's going to make something good out of it. Okay. And how many guys would say that God in allowing his son Jesus to be bruised, beaten, and battered on our behalf kind of turned out to be a good thing? Turned out to be good. And folks, I'm telling you, it's the same thing with you and I. Okay. Same thing with you and I. Maybe we're not being bruised, beaten, half to death like Jesus, praise God. But we still get the hits of life, so to speak, don't we? Right? I mean, think about it, folks. Maybe it's just losing your job, right? Maybe maybe something's going on. You're having some marital troubles in the gut or something. Maybe it's it's just life in hell. You're getting battered with this stuff. It's the same principle. The truth remains the same. You do what Jesus did. I don't get it, God. This hurts. It may not be right. And God's never condoning sin. But if you just, I trust it over to you, God. I entrust this. And I'm not moving from this state of mind. I trust you. I don't have the answer yet. I don't know the purpose yet, but I trust you. I entrust this over to you. The scripture says when you do that, bang, peace of God flows. I didn't say it. God did. This is what Paul learned too. Did Paul suffer a little bit? Read the scripture just a little bit. Here's what he says, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and what? Both of them as you what? How does it happen? What's the key that unlocks the, the, the flow there, the peace and the joy? As you trust in him. It's the exact same thing that Jesus is doing. 
okay, when you react like Jesus and simply entrust your situation over to God and his goodness, listen, you're going to experience his peace as you trust in him. You don't stop, you don't turn, you don't veer, you don't talk yourself out of it. You say, man, it's been three days, I still don't have the answer and I quit. No, you keep it up. And guess what that keeps going? Keeps the peace flowing. But Christians, we mess this up all the time. But the scripture, I mean, you talk about black and white, man. This is it. How many guys would you wake up? Man, I hope Pastor Billy somehow tells me someday from the word of God, from the Bible, that wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool if somehow I could have joy and peace on a regular basis? If only you could be true. It's true. It's true. Today's your day. It's really, trust him. Just trust him. That's it. It almost sounds too simplistic, but that's all you do. Trust him. He knows what he's doing. But then we said, we said well, um, you know, I, I, I shouldn't have to experience any pain. I, I shouldn't have to experience anything. I should have a perfect life. Here's this one. You ever heard this one? If God really loved me, he mm, Excuse me? God is just. And even when it comes to pain, he's never asked us to do anything he hasn't already done. One guy says this, Christian, we need to be reminded of this. Christ did not say, if anyone would come after me, let him enjoy himself. Let him be gorgeously dressed and let him be drunk with delight. No. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. His path winds up a steep side of a mountain where death is going to present itself at every hand. You do not see the lovely side of following Christ. You just see what he takes away. Okay, but you don't see what he gives. You exaggerate the sacrifices. You ignore his blessings. God is your father. Do you think he would ever hurt you? He just cuts off from you those things that you love in the wrong way. You would cry like a baby, and you cry like a baby when God removes something from your life. But you would cry a whole lot more if you could see the eternal harm that your wrong attachments cause you that God sees. You don't see with the eyes of eternity. God knows everything. Nothing happens without his consent. You're upset by small losses, but you don't see the eternal gains. We must imitate Jesus. Live as he lived. Think as he thought. Be conformed to his image. Jesus, think about it. Think you're supposed to have a perfect life? Excuse me? We're a Christian, a follower of Christ. Jesus was born in a stable. He was obliged to fly into Egypt. 30 years of his life, he spent in a workshop. He suffered hunger, thirst, and weariness. He was poor. He was despised. And he taught the doctrines of heaven. Hardly anybody would listen to him. The great and wise persecuted him, took him, subjected him to frightful torments, treated him as a slave, put him to death between two thieves, having preferred to give liberty to a robber rather than let him escape. Such was the life our Lord chose. Listen, while we are horrified by any kind of humiliation, we can't even bear the slightest appearance of contempt. Oh. He says, Christian, no wonder you don't experience God's peace. Do you understand what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Christ? Let us compare our lives with that of Jesus Christ. He is the master. We are the servants. And let us begin to walk in the path that our Savior has marked out for us because it's the only one that could lead us to him. It's not just that, hello, heaven comes later. In fact, turn to somebody and say that. Heaven comes later. Don't forget them. Okay? We, we see, we think uh, We need to acknowledge that. But we also need to acknowledge that as Jesus suffered, we're going to suffer too. But we need to acknowledge, how did Jesus deal with it? 
trust. He doesn't leave us hanging high and dry. He didn't just give the answer to Jesus, the Son of God, God the Father, and the rest of us who got it somehow. No, he, he wrote it down for us. This is the path that leads us to his peace. When, not if, you're going to suffer. God is not unjust. He's not asking us to do something he's not already done. And frankly, can I be honest with you? None of us have gone through or ever will go through what he went through. But he has shown us that when we follow him, sometimes you're going to have to suffer in this wicked world system. His kingdom is coming later, but take heart. Just trust him and trust other people's behavior, even their unjust behavior, over to him, God, who judges justly. Did you know that God has the last word on everything? Nobody gets away with nothing. And you're either going to stand before God and you're going to have an advocate there, Jesus Christ. Praise God for the advocate. He's your lawyer. That's the lawyer you're wanting. And every charge that comes up against you, he's going to say, I took care of that one, 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 took care of all of them. Or you're going to stand before God because you refuse to surrender to Jesus and ask him to save you and forgive you. And you're going to be all alone. God is just. He takes great care of us. Trust him. He'll take care of it. Okay. Now, when it comes to trusting God, I don't know if you guys noticed this. We say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Of course I trust God, right? Right, Bobby? We trust God. Trust God. But when it's put to the test, sometimes we act like this guy. Watch this. Okay. There's this tourist, okay, that came uh, uh, too close to the edge of the Grand Canyon. No, it was not Steve. I don't think so. Anyway, so he gets too close to the edge, right? And so he lost his footing and he plunges over the side there, right? And he's clawing, he's scratching and trying to save himself. And he's just about ready to fall over, over the completely out of sight into space there. And all of a sudden he sees this little scrubby little bush there and he, and he grabs it with both hands, right? And he's just hanging there. Oh. So he's filled with terror. And so he calls out towards heaven. He goes, is anyone out there? And this calm, powerful voice comes out of the sky and says, yes, there is. And so the tourist please, can you help me? Can you help me? And the calm voice says, yes, I can. What is your problem? I fell over a cliff. I'm dangling in space. I'm holding on to this bush. It's about ready to let go. Please help me. And the voice from above goes, I'll try. Do you believe? Yeah, yeah, I believe. I believe big time, yeah. Do you have faith? Yeah, I got faith. I'm a Christian. I got strong faith. And so the calm voice said, well, in that case, simply let loose of the bush and everything will turn out fine. And there was a tense pause and the tourist yelled, is anyone else up there? <laughs> That's what we do, don't we? Right? Is there a plan B to this? We mean trust God. It's too hard. It doesn't make sense. And that's all you got to do. Oh, then we'll say something like this. We'll say, well, um, it's hard to trust God, or I, 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 I don't know how to trust God. <laughs> Come on. I want to break this down for you. Excuse me. It's hard to trust God. He's God. He's the creator of the universe. He's good. He's holy. He never does something wrong. And if anybody you want on your side, it's him. But you can't trust him. Listen to this. I broke this down for you. Okay, We trust in all kinds of things. We don't even think about it. Not even with the slightest bit of hesitation. For instance, many of us will trust a school teacher to teach our kids, which many of us have never even met. We'll trust a pilot to fly us in a plane 30,000 feet up in the air we've never even seen. We always in the cabin. We don't even think about it. We, we, we go to doctors whose names we can't even pronounce, whose degrees we haven't verified, 
and they give us prescriptions we can't even read. And then without question, we go to a pharmacist we've never seen who gives us containers of chemicals we haven't even heard of, let alone spell. And we go home, we take them with instructions we don't even understand, and I can't trust God. No wonder we don't experience his peace. Listen, we have more faith or trust in a doctor that we don't even know than the one who made the doctor from head to toe. But it gets even worse. We say, oh, no, I, all right, okay, okay, yeah, okay, I should trust God. I trust that airplane guy and, you know, the teacher and the pharmacist. And... But, it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's so risky, man, trusting God. You just don't know how it's going to, excuse me. People do all kinds of crazy risky stuff all the time, right? Like these people, watch this. Hopefully you guys aren't doing any of the stuff. Let's take a look. We came over here specifically to learn how to fly our wingsuits off of cliffs and learn how to proximity fly and just learn as much as we can from these Norwegians and as much as we can from Luik. At the beginning of wingsuit base jumping, we were trying to get as far from the wall as possible. So basically clearing up the whole thing and now it's getting boring so we play around. that I'll never forget seeing these guys that I've been watching in the base jumping movies doing it in person just buzzing the walls like scraping their fingernails just about on, on ledges at 100 miles an hour how close to the road do you think you'll get uh but here <laughs> no, just kidding you. At least I hope not. I didn't see the end of the video. <laughs> Let me see if I can... <laughs> you give me this straight. Let's put all this together. You've got to be kidding me, man. I mean, God's watching the whole thing, right? You'll trust a teacher to educate your child you may not even know. You'll, you'll trust a pilot to fly a plane you've never even met. You'll take a pill without question from a doctor. You can't even pronounce his name. You'll, you'll stand on top of a high-rise beam without any kind of safety devices. You'll pop a wheelie on a motorcycle at high speeds going through traffic. You'll jump out of a plane without a parachute on. You'll fly 100 miles an hour through the air on a plastic, goofy wingsuit. But you say, I can't trust God. It's too risky. And you wonder why you don't experience his peace. 
You mean stiff neck? We have more faith in a teacher, a doctor, a pilot, a motorcycle, a plastic suit than God. Wasn't his fault, it was ours. We just short circuited his peace. We could have had it. God fills you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Not yourself, not your situation, not your abilities, not your current provision or lack thereof. It comes from putting your trust back in God. Okay? In fact, God even commands you, hey, listen, trust, listen, I'm not just saying do it. Don't you understand? I love you. I care for you. And I promise to take personal care of you. Would you just take all this worry, all this junk, and just give it to me? Isn't that cool? See, I didn't make that up. That's what God said, right? If you read the scripture in 1 Peter, later after what we saw in, in, in chapter 2. A cast, listen, God speak, cast all your, how much? All your anxiety on him, God. Why? Because he what? He cares for you. Now, you don't get the full impact because you don't understand what's going on in the Greek. Here's the Greek translated, expanded for you. Here's literally the exact same verse, expanded. Having deposited with him God once for all. I'm done with this, man. No more. The whole of your worry. Why? Because to him, to God, it is a matter of concern respecting you. Turn to somebody and say, God is concerned about me. And this is what he's saying here in the scripture. We're commanded by God to do this, to literally cast all of our worry over to him. The word there, cast in the Greek, doesn't mean to just throw randomly. It means literally, listen, a definite act of the will. You know exactly what you're doing. And it's a definite act of the will. You're committing your worries over to him and you are absolutely done uh, uh, worrying about it ever again. I'm never gonna pick it up again. To give you a visual, it's like, all right, here's the whole of my worries. Everything I could possibly think of. God, here they are. Every last one that I could possibly think. I tell you what, God, I tell you, I'm gonna, I'm, uh, it's yours now. I'm not touching it ever again, ever. That's what he's talking about. God commands you to do that. It's not just something, well, I hope when I put it over there, it'll work. Or God sees my heart and I really want this to happen. He says, do it. Why? Because the other half, he says, listen, your personal concern, your concern, what you're going through in life is God's personal concern. God, the creator of the universe. And he's promised to take care of us. So if that's true, why in the world do you worry? So the problem is, what do we do? We go, oh, yeah, God, I'm so concerned about this. I hope you take care of this. Oh, yeah, yeah commit it over to you. Five seconds later, what are we doing? Oh, but look at it, God. Look at it. I don't know how. It's just, uh, would you put it down? We're doing good for a whole day. We're experiencing peace, okay? The problem didn't change. The circumstances didn't change. What do we do? Hey, but, but God, I'm telling you, look at it. It's just, uh, I don't get it. Uh, but you put it down. That's what he's talking about here in the Greek. That's what's so amazing about this. For the whole of your worries, once and for all, I'm done with it. I trust God. He knows what he's doing. I'm not bringing it up again. It's, listen, it's his concern now. I don't have to worry about it anymore. You know what happens when you do that? Whew, peace, baby. Awesome. You see, the non-Christian sees us going through those times. They see our suffering, our pain. But when we walk around in peace, we're not faking it. It's real. What do they say? Can I have that? Folks, this is what God's trying to tell you. He is so worthy of our trust. Cast it over to him. If it worked for Jesus, the Prince of Peace, don't you think it's going to work for us? Hello? 
right? God's school is nothing full of good lessons. His journeys are full of nothing but godly direction. His medication won't kill you. His surgeries will only heal you. And he'll never leave you hanging on a high beam. He's not going to shove you out of a plane without a parachute on. And one day you're going to fly through the sky all right, but it's through the wings of the Holy Spirit. He's taking you to heaven. It only gets better. Trust him. Commit your concerns over to him. Listen, and leave them there if you want to maintain the peace. Real quick, one last one. The third thing is a steadfast joy in the will of God. And once again, this is what we see in Jesus as our example. Let's go back to there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 through 3. Let us fix our eyes on who? Your problem, your pain, your situation, what the things that people did to you. No, Jesus. Why? Because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. For who the joy set before him, what? Who for the joy set before him wasn't there yet. He's looking forward to it. He what? He endured the cross. How many guys would say it's a little bit of suffering? Yeah. Okay, scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will what? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Can I translate that for you? So you won't lose your peace. Because when you lose your peace, guess what? You're weary and you lose heart. It's not just focusing on the will of God. It's not just trusting in the will of God. Now it's having a steadfast joy in the will of God. Meaning, listen, just like Jesus, knowing that in the end, I may not see it now. Okay, right now it hurts. But God, you're going to do something fantastic with this pain. And how many guys would say that God nailing his own son to the cross was really good for us? It's the same thing. Jesus, in, listen, not afterwards, but in the midst of his crucifixion, the scripture says he was at peace. He had the strength to endure it because he knew something good was coming. And it made him joyful. It's the same thing with you and I. It's this exact same thing with you and I, okay? Jesus looked forward to it. And it's the same thing we are. Okay, and, and, and praise God. Maybe you and I aren't being nailed to a cross like Jesus, amen? Okay, but but in, we got crosses to bear, so to speak, don't we? And again, what, what, what's your cross? Right? Maybe, it's, maybe it's back to your job. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's just life in general. But it's still the principle remains the same. If you have a steadfast joy in the will of God, knowing that, listen, in the end, if you would just wait... It's going to be so worth it, man. How many times you go through something in life, Christian, and then the answer comes later, and you go, man, why did I whine and complain so much? This is what he's saying. Listen, stop doing that. By the way, that's not a very good witness because it gives the impression as if God doesn't know what he's doing. Trust him. Okay, God, just like you took care of the lion and the bear, David, you're going to take care of this Goliath. Oh, I don't see it now. I don't see the answer. I don't have the answer. I'm still going through it. But I trust you. I know something good's going to happen. And it's the same thing with you and I when we go through our problems. You just wait. You got to wait. In fact, if you, and that's one of the worst things we have to do, right? Somebody say, hey, here's something good for you. Oh, it's awesome, man. You're going to love it. It's going to be so fantastic. It's the best thing ever. It's not chicken. It's all beef products. It's great stuff. It's awesome. And they say, okay. And you go, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll talk about it to you tomorrow. Ah, right? We hate waiting, right? We hate waiting, especially in hard times. But if you look at the scripture, it's the same thing that God has asked all the patriarchs to do, right? Noah had to wait over a year before he got out of the ark, right? 
Abraham had to wait until his wife was 90 before they had a baby for the promise to come. Uh, Joseph, as we saw before, he had to wait several years enduring much suffering before the vision that God gave him when he was a teenager ever came to pass. Moses had to wait 40 years in the desert before God ever released him into ministry. David had to wait and sit under the murderous threats and attempts on his life year after year after year after year of King Saul before he got to be king. Even the mighty apostle Paul, he had to wait several years facing rejection from the church leadership because they didn't trust him before God ever sent him on a missionary journey. Wait. Wait. It's coming. God knows what he's doing. The good thing's coming. Just like Jesus, Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, King David, and Paul. You can endure it now. If you trust him, something good is coming. Just don't cave in. And sure enough, the reward will come if you just wait for something better. Like these kids. Let's take a look. Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. It smells really So I'm going to leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. Ha! 
How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. to be like that little girl just ah, forget it <laughs> munch on that thing yeah but notice what notice the temptation I mean, you could feel it couldn't you even though they're kids you could feel it and then one kid <laughs> if you just wait if you just wait i know it's tempting to pick that thing up take the easy way out but if you wait the reward will come and folks i'm telling you it's the same thing with god Whatever you're going through life. You want to call it good, bad, or ugly, whatever. Just focus on him. Trust him. Look forward to the reward that you know that is coming because God's doing something fantastic. I know it's tempting to just pick it. I'll give you the visual. Don't touch the marshmallow. Leave it there. Oh, smell it all you want. That's a torture device. I don't recommend that. Leave it alone. And God will give you something way better than a second marshmallow, as cool as they are. He'll give you his joy. He'll give you his peace. And you will be able to endure the challenge with a great countenance. That's real. Oh, not just for you and I, but that we can be a powerful witness in these last days to the lost around us who have none of these resources available because they don't know Jesus. That's a life worth living for. That's leaving a godly legacy. Let's be that church. Let's be those people here in Las Vegas and around the world. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? 
The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it, and a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. 
And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.